Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, um, your written word that guides us in how we are to follow faithfully in your way. And we thank you most of all for the word made flesh, um, the Lord Jesus, whose words we consider today together. And so as we do that, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to enter more fully into the new life that he has given us. And we pray all these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. So one of the things I love about being a teacher is the opportunity to keep learning. Um, and to, we can all do that, of course, but it's part of my job. I'm actually intentionally supposed to do that. And I'm invited to do that on a regular basis. And one of the fun things is being pushed to read things that, you know, in myself I might not pick up and do. Um, but because of my job, I'm actually pushed to do that. And then sometimes I discover, you know, wow, I don't know if I would have ever done that myself. But now that I've read it, I'm really glad I did. So last year, one of the books I was pushed to read was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I confess I'd made it into my fifth decade of life without ever actually reading that book. And so I read it, and it was a powerful book. And it was a book that I thought, wow, this really, in many ways, speaks to, um, speaks about some of the things in the moment we find ourselves in as a society. It really raises this question, I mean, um, you know, just because we can do something, should we do it? Those don't necessarily follow, right? Being able to do it doesn't mean necessarily we ought to do it. Um, what is the problem? I think Mary Shelley wants us to ask ourselves, what is the problem with ignoring our limits as humans? So in the story, Victor Frankenstein is able to create life. Maybe that's implausible, but he can do it, and he does, and he's just sort of single-mindedly focused on that. And no sooner has he done it, he realizes like, oh no, what have I done? I can't handle this. I've created a creature that isn't ready for life, it isn't ready to enter into this world, and yet here we are, and I'm completely unable to help um, that creature. And so it leads to a series of disasters for Frankenstein, for the creature, um, and for kind of everyone who's connected with them. You should read the book. Um, but this message isn't about that. It's about our own relationship with God. And you think about our gospel reading today, it reminds us we are created beings. We are limited beings. We are dependent. We need others. And most of all, of course, we need God. We cannot forget that. Now, the good news for us is that unlike Frankenstein's creature, we have a good creator. Victor Frankenstein is not a good creator, but we have a good creator, one who cares for us and who has a good purpose for us, who knows what he wants for us and has made us to enter into that. Today's gospel reading really emphasizes this dependence that we are all we all have in a couple of ways. And it's interesting, our reading um, has two parts to it, and they both really emphasize this point. So part one, verses 25 to 27, we have Jesus praying to his Father. So it's a prayer addressed to God. And then in verses 28 to 30, Jesus essentially seems to turn to the disciples, and he says, I promise to provide rest for those in need of it. And of course, that's all of us. And what joins those two parts together is their focus on our dependence as humans. So look at verse 25 for a moment. Jesus says to them, you have hidden, the, to God, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So as he's praying to God, he's emphasizing the dependence of humanity on God. We are not able to see these things unless God reveals them to us as little children. And then in verse 28, as he's turning to those around him and speaking to them, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
We're not able to find that as those who labor and are heavy laden. We need it to be given to us. Again, it emphasizes our dependence. So both this prayer and this promise emphasize the dependence we have on God, and they remind us that we cannot be the greatest being in our own existence. We need help. Now, as he so often does, Jesus illustrates this, I think, with a couple of really powerful images. First, by saying that God reveals his truth to little children rather than to the wise and the understanding, the kind of who's who of the world. And then he contrasts taking on a load that is too heavy with taking on a yoke, which is something that you you use to help you carry a load that is easy. So let's think about each of those two images in turn. So first, we should ask ourselves with the children example. What is it about children that makes them the picture of those to whom God reveals truth? Now, one way to think about it is to say, and this is the kind of obvious words of the passage, uh, because they're humble. And in one sense, children are humble. um, But in another sense, if you think about their attitude, they're not always all that humble. Um, And some of you parents are smiling because you you have children, right? And you talk to them. Um, So it's not merely about kind of a humility of attitude. I mean, like, certainly as I think back to my childhood self, I won't pick on any kids here in our congregation, but I think back to my childhood self. I mean, I don't think I was a particularly arrogant child, but I was definitely not humble, and certainly not in the way I thought about the world around me and the way I thought about my contribution to it. Um, I wasn't what I would have described as a humble child, and I don't think I was particularly unusual in that regard. So I don't think the core of what Jesus is saying is like a humble attitude, a sense of kind of um, necessarily seeing ourselves uh, appropriately, but it is about that acknowledgement of need, which is part of humility. What kids know is that they need things that they are unable to provide for themselves. One of my favorite examples of this happened um, a few years back when our, one of our, when our children were young, younger. Um, I was sleeping peacefully in my bed one morning, um, and, you know, that moment where you just sort of sound asleep, and then I feel this little tap on my face. And I woke up, so, you know, I woke up, I opened my eyes, and I see a child's face here. I need breakfast. <sighs> you know, like, you sort of, like, just react, like, in the moment, like, that was so, sort of sudden, right? I need breakfast. And it's usually not quite that dramatic in our home, but I get that request, or Sarah gets that request almost every day. Right? I need breakfast. We need breakfast. Not to, we, we always provide them breakfast, for the record. It's not like they have to ask. Um, but you get that request, right? We need food. We need sustenance. We know we need it, and we know we can't provide it. Right? Now, we're getting, some of our kids are getting old enough where they could actually pull the cereal down and get it. Right? But when they're little, they really can't even do that. And they know they can't produce the food. They can't bring it in here. They need someone to provide it. They get a little older. I need a ride to somewhere. I need clean clothes. I'm sure some of you moms have heard that one, right? And the list can go on, right? Kids are aware there are things that they need to flourish that they cannot provide for themselves. And I think that's the core of what Jesus is emphasizing here about little children. Children know what they need. The reality is we adults need things that we can't provide for ourselves too. We're just not as good about remembering that. We forget that. Um, Let's give a personal example here. 24 hours ago, I was sitting in Kankakee, Illinois, um, at the wedding reception uh, for a good friend's um, son. 
great experience to be there. But I was just thinking about this coming back today. I was like, you know, how dependent I am. And I don't think of myself as dependent. I got this whole thing planned out. I got my itinerary. It's fine. I'll be there on Saturday. I'll be back here on Sunday to preach. It's all good. I'm kind of dependent on a lot of things. I'm depending on drivers not doing something crazy that would shut down the interstate. I'm dependent on gas stations, making sure they supply themselves with gas, and so on, right? There are all these things that I'm dependent on that I don't control. I need someone to provide. If that's true at our human level, how much more in our relationship with God? And that's the core of what Jesus is saying here. Our relationship with God requires that we acknowledge what children are acknowledging all the time. We need something that we cannot provide for ourselves. The second image Jesus gives us is this image of yoke or bearing a burden. Um, And he interestingly connects rest and the bearing of a burden, which is not usually how we think about rest. Usually you think about rest as like, I'm setting all my burdens aside. But Jesus says, I'm going to promise you rest, and it's this taking up of the easy yoke. I think here it's maybe helpful to think about the broader context of what the Gospel of Matthew is saying that kind of surrounds this passage. So I'm just going to zoom out for a moment, think about that context, and then we'll come back to this question. So you remember last week, Chris Peterson challenged us with being witnesses of Jesus. Um, You know, that's the same word as martyr, right? That word witness, martyrs were those who witnessed to it all the way to the death, right? They were willing to give up their lives for that. And Chris noted that normally in our lives, we don't face that. We are blessed to live in a country where we have a lot of freedoms, including the freedom to practice our faith openly, to proclaim it openly. But in ordinary life, we're still called to a martyrdom, a witness, a green martyrdom, Chris called it. That dying to self daily, taking up our cross and following, walking in the way of self-sacrifice, as Jesus did, serving rather than being served. And so earlier in chapter 11, Matthew goes back and he tells the story of John the Baptist being in prison. And John sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? I mean, I'm stuck in jail here. Are you really the Messiah? And instead of just saying yes, Jesus says, go tell John what you've seen. Blind people are seen, lame people are walking, lepers are cured, the deaf are hearing, dead people are raised to life, and the poor are hearing good news. Jesus then reflects a little bit on John's ministry and how he and John were both criticized for this. And at the end, he circles back to this whole idea of, you know, his answer to John by saying wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then in chapter 12, kind of right after our reading we had today, we see two confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees over the Sabbath. So first off, Um, Jesus is saying, yes, it's fine for my disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath instead of going hungry. And then he's saying, yes, it's fine for me to heal a sick man on the Sabbath um, so that he can be well. In the first story, Jesus then quotes the same line from Hosea that we saw a few weeks back in our reading from Matthew 9, when Jesus was being criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus quotes from Hosea. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And that's the core of what um, God is saying here. He said, what is this about? What is the Sabbath about? What is the law about? It's about mercy. It's about bringing people to God, not pushing them away, right? So don't stand on that, that principle um, in its own, for its own sake. It's about what is it trying to do to bring people into relationship with God. So Jesus is emphasizing again, as he did back in Matthew 9, your priorities are wrong. The Sabbath is for healing. It's for rest and recovery. And so think about it. A Sabbath where people can eat and be healed is so much better than a Sabbath where they're hungry 
and sick. God's desire is to make people new. And that's true if they've been cheating people, like tax collectors back in Matthew 9, or sick like the man with the withered hand, or just plain old hungry like the disciples. Matthew goes on in chapter 12 to show that Jesus' invitation to rest is for anyone who will come, saying he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles in his name, Gentiles will hope. So it's not even for just the people Jesus is proclaiming it to right now, it's for a larger community, and we're grateful for that. Okay, so that's a little context. Um, let's come back to our question and see, why does all that matter? Why does Jesus promise us rest and then say, take my yoke upon you? In other words, bear my burden. Here I think we have to think about what's the core of our calling as disciples of Jesus. Well, we're called to follow him. We're called to participate in his work, in his deeds of wisdom. And we've been seeing that as we've reflected in Matthew 9 and 10 on the call to discipleship and Jesus' teaching to his disciples. Commentators tell us um, that the meaning of the yoke here is less probably that idea of the oxen yoke, where you have a couple of oxen pulling together. It's more the yoke a human would use to carry something, right? To balance it rightly so that all of a sudden what would be really heavy if you just like put it on your back is now manageable because you've got the weight balanced. So that's the idea here. When the Pharisees criticized Jesus and his disciples for not working on the Sabbath, Jesus is answering them in effect, look, rest is found not in just the complete absence of work. We have to work sometimes, but in rightly working. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be workaholics. That's definitely a temptation for us in our, our society. But there are certainly moments where rest requires work. So again, coming back to the two examples from chapter 12, the disciples are more relaxed on the Sabbath because they're eating, even though they had to pick grain to do that. The sick man is more relaxed on the Sabbath after Jesus does the work of healing him. So rest is found not in the absence of work, but in the right kind of work at the right times. There are, of course, moments where you need a total absence of work, set aside all the ordinary work and just rest. But most times, someone is having to work so that others can rest. One more trip example. These are on my mind since I just traveled, right? Think about coming home late at night from a trip, right? And the contrast between like kids' experience of rest and adults' experience of rest, right? Kids, you come home late at night from a trip, what do you do with the kids? Go brush your teeth, go put your pajamas on, go get in bed, right? Boom. Rest is not quite instantaneous, but it's pretty close, right? If you're the parents, you're going to carry in all the stuff. You're going to you know, possibly deal with some conflicts between tired kids. You're going to help them get settled in bed. You're going to start maybe unpacking some stuff because you're like, you know, I don't want to wake up and do this in the morning. You're going to be trying to get ready for the next day because that'll come quickly enough and you know, have that breakfast ready to go. Um, you want to rest, too. You have that same desire for rest. But it, that rest, for you to be able to enter that rest, to go to bed and feel like, now I can really rest, often requires doing some work. I can rest better if I know I've already unpacked the car. <laughs> I don't have to worry about doing all this work in the morning. Um, I can really enter into rest. So Jesus' metaphor of the yoke, I think, really emphasizes this idea that you know, rest is not the absence of any labor, but it's the absence of labor that overwhelms us. It's giving us the right kind of labor so that we can both work and rest. Later on in Matthew chapter 12, I think Jesus gives us another example that in a way kind of further reinforces that point. So when Jesus asked for a sign in Matthew 12, Jesus points them to the sign of Jonah. Go look at the sign of Jonah. I mean, he's been giving them sign after sign after sign, and we've read a number of these in our gospel readings the last few weeks. They don't, give us one more sign. No, no. Go look at Jonah. 
And he says, a greater than Jonah is here. And then he talks about the Queen of Sheba. She came to see Solomon's wisdom. A greater than Solomon is here. In doing that, Jesus does two things. First, he again connects deeds and wisdom, right? She went to see Solomon. There's a greater than Solomon here. The deeds that I've been doing are connected to this wisdom. But he also gives us this example of Jonah, who is someone who, think about what Jonah did. He refused to do the work God had given him to do. He fled in the opposite direction. And when he did, what did he find? Not rest, disaster, right? He gets on a ship to get away from the work God had called him to do. Storm, he gets thrown overboard. He's in the belly of a big fish. And when he, when he finally is delivered after he, he you know, prays to God, what does God say? Go do the work. It's not until after he's done that work that he can find some rest. Not very good rest, because Jonah, it turns out, doesn't, still isn't quite all in on God's plan, but that's another story. Jonah could not control his own destiny. He couldn't run away from God and flourish, and of course, neither can we. So it comes back to the heart of this passage. We need to ask God to provide for us and to be like little children who know our need, who ask, and then who wait to receive. In his prayer, Jesus tells us we need him as the Son um, to reveal the Father to us. We can't do this on our own. We need his help. And then Jesus turns from addressing his Father to addressing the humans around him, and he promises, I will reveal the Father, and I will give rest to all who labor and are heavy laden. So again, that rest is found not in the absence of work, but in doing the work that we have been created to do, the work of following after Jesus, or to come back to the point we reflected on last week, to be green martyrs. And so that brings us back to the kinds of questions that Chris was asking us to think about last week. How are we called to enter into that green martyrdom, that witness to Jesus um, that involves us serving others and sacrificing ourselves? How are we involved to save our lives by losing them? How are we called to gain by giving up? This is what Jesus means by taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. Now, we know, of course, the broader context of the gospel, the good news. We know that Jesus' example is the way of the cross. And boy, that doesn't sound like it's accurate to say of the cross, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But Jesus grounds what he's saying, not in the nature of the work he calls us to. I mean, self-sacrifice, dying to yourself, those are hard things. So why is this work easy? It's easy because Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. So the core of this is the relationship we're in. Again, you can think about different work you've done in your life, right? And you can probably think of work that you've done where you've done the same job, and one time it was really hard to do, and one time it was easier to do. And often what that has to do with is like, why am I doing this, right? Am I doing it for someone I love? And boy, that seems really worthwhile. Or am I doing it because I'm being forced to, or I'm doing it for minimum wage, or something like that, where it's like, this is just grunt work. Jesus' work is easy because Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. So the call to take on his yoke, to accept that, good call, that call to green martyrdom is a good call to an easy yoke because Jesus is worth following and it's only in him that we find life. In today's epistle reading, the Apostle Paul reflects on the hopelessness of finding rest and flourishing in ourselves alone, especially because when we want to do right, as Paul reminds us, we continually are falling again and again into sin and evil. In Paul's words, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then his beautiful answer, 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, for the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, Church of the Redeemer, let's join with the daughters of Jerusalem and Zion in rejoicing greatly that our King is righteous, that he is humble, and that he brings us salvation. And let's proclaim, as we just did a few moments ago with the psalmist, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let's join together in commending his works and telling of his power and his kingdom to each other. And together, let's answer the call of Jesus to be his witnesses, to enter into that call to green martyrdom, to do the work that leads us to true rest. And so I'm just close by reading again those last three verses, personalizing them just a little bit for us. Come to the Lord Jesus, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will, he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and in him you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.